multiple strangers offered in Facebook comments to drive to North Carolina to kill me. A person who I knew a decade earlier messaged me two years later that I should have killed myself. Like two and a half years later, I'm being trolled on Twitter for the internet to take me down as if there was anything more they could take from me. And, you know, Zach Ward hashtag times up me to, you know, the rapist is you. These are messages that I'm getting regularly. Yeah, there was a real hard like three months that I was so sad. And I thought that I had just failed my son and I thought that I was not seen. It was such a drastic and abrupt turn that I was now othered by a community and outcast in my hometown. And so I walked myself back from suicide for like three months. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is my friend, Zach Ward. He lives in Chapel Hill, and he's the former owner of a comedy club whose career was ended in 2017. He was canceled before that was trendy, and you heard Donald Trump complain about it. I'm going to let Zach tell you his story, but I want you to know that I'm going to jump in from time to time to help move the story along. And I also want you to know that Punk Rock HR is committed to bringing you big ideas and stories that are not heard anywhere else. And in doing that today, we are leaning hard into our E rating. We're talking about serious issues around cancel culture, some sexual assault allegations, some descriptions of sex. And so be warned, whatever the hell that means. To know Zach's story, though, is to start at the beginning, but there are a lot of beginnings to this story. So I just asked him, who the hell are you and why are you on my podcast? That's a great... Who are are we? (laughs) Well, my name is Zach, obviously. You know, we've known each other for a long time. I'm a father, which is how I primarily identify myself. That's like my big thing. But the reason that I'm here on your podcast is that in the context of work, right? Up until 2017, July 2017, I was a comedian and the owner of a comedy theater in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that comedy theater? It was called DSI, right? So what was it like? What was it all about? So this theater started first as a comedy festival. I'm from Chapel Hill. When I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, I moved to Chicago and knew that you know, there were a couple different paths. I could have pursued comedy, Second City, moved to New York or Los Angeles. But after a couple of years in Chicago, my goal was to move home to my hometown and build a community and start a comedy theater. That sort of had a 17-year progression, so pretty significant amount of time, where we taught improv classes, stand-up classes, taught summer camps for kids, and had shows when we closed the theater, we had about nine shows a week. So I remember a little story that you weren't just a speaker and a comedian, but you also had a stint in recruiting. Is that true? Do I remember that correctly? That is correct. So that was that was my... Like I said, I moved from Chapel Hill to Chicago. And in Chicago, this was around 1999, 2000. And I was on Monster.com at the time and had a job listing for entry-level sales. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. I can sell things. And I am certainly entry-level right now. So I applied for this job and it turned out to be a headhunting company. So I went in and 
I spent a good two years as a recruiter in a technical field. So that's what I did until 9-11, right? And 9-11 sort of changed everything. Y'all, Zach came home and created community, which is everybody's dream, right? You go away, you get a degree, and you think, I'm going to monetize my hustle. I'm going to find my passion and my purpose. I'm going to make money at it. And so he did that. He came back to Chapel Hill and opened up a comedy club at a comedy school. But in creating that community, other things happened. And so I asked Zach, what was that all about? So interesting thing about creating communities over a long period of time is that you know, not everyone will be happy all of the time. Come to find out, right? As adults, not everyone is happy all the time. The community that I created around DSI, we taught thousands of students from the time that we started until 2017. To flash sort of back, in the summer of 2016, some former employees of that theater had started a competing theater in the area. And over the course of a year, they had started to set themselves apart by smearing the theater that I started, DSI Comedy Theater, and myself personally, so that DSI was an unsafe space and Zach Ward was a dangerous man. So I want to stop you right there because that's a pretty serious allegation. So how did they begin the campaign of smearing you? In summer of 2016, when they split off, this was an effort to pull performers and pull faculty members to this new theater. This was emailing national producers, national comedy contacts, and through just a series of sort of whisper campaigns and direct email effort, smeared the theater, smeared DSI. This, at the end of 2016, and, and while all this is happening, it's so wild how like the things in our life come together. I had also been diagnosed with cancer. So that summer... <laughs> It's like, you know, comedy of errors, right? Or comedy and tragedy together. That summer, I am sort of experiencing this professional chaos at the same time that I'm going in for radiation treatments every single day. And so it's having like some really incredible moments of perspective about what's important, who's important, why we do the things we do. And at the end of that summer, when sort of the smear campaign, what I thought was going to be the end of that smear campaign hit sort of a fever pitch. I actually had a sit down with one of the founders of this competing organization and immediately made significant changes in my comedy theater, put an HR policy in place and made efforts to myself as someone who was being smeared as a leader and a powerful figure in the community stepped back from a number of artistic decisions while we were figuring out, you know, what's real and what's rumor and what's just sort of scuttle out there. So the people that were actually at my organization thought, oh, well, this is great. You are making decisions and we are moving forward. And so these two organizations sort of moved forward. And what I thought was a peaceful coexistence, even though there was clearly some contemptuous feelings or some negative feelings. Can I ask you about that meeting? Because I think it's real interesting that you as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, would hear a rumor, would hear an issue, true or not, and try to tackle it, right? I think that's actually pretty brave. And I think a lot of small business owners are put in that position where something's being said in the marketplace and true or not, they have to kind of figure out 
how to manage it. So it's real interesting to me that you would listen to it and then follow up with an HR policy, right? That was something you had not had before. Like, was that a hard thing for you to do or what was going on then? So these people were my friends as well. In the context of theater, a lot of small businesses, it feels like our personal lives and our professional lives are intertwined in a way that you just really don't see where one ends and the other begins. And so in this space, I felt like I had an obligation to sit down with one of the founders of this competing theater to see what is actually being said, what's happening, what's going on. In this, it was in the meeting that we had, I found out later that it was positioned in some of their email campaigns that a, quote, core ally of our effort is meeting with the accused, that accused being me. So this meeting was positioned as part and parcel with their smear campaign. But I sat down with him and got a lot of heated emotional information, but really only one accusation that he himself and the people that were a part of this other theater knew to be false and misleading. And so coming out of that meeting, I realized that emotions were exceptionally high. The rumor and context around what was a very loose allegation was much more powerful. The perception of the stories they were telling in the community were much more powerful than any factual information that they had or any real concerns that they shared. Well, Zach, can we speak with some specificity here? I think that would be helpful for the people listening. Like, what is the smear campaign early on and what's reality? Like, what prompted that meeting? So early on is that this other company, which is called Meddlesome, Meddlesome implied directly and indirectly that, like I said before, DSI was an unsafe space for women in the community and that Zach Ward was a dangerous person. In addition, they sort of leveraged that feeling. And this was summer of 2016. So this was, you know, leading up to the presidential election. This was a really like heated time in the country. And so all of these things, emotions were running high. And so then any other small issue that someone may have had became escalated. If in fact, I was an abuser or I had victimized people in some way, if in fact that happened, then anyone who had any small grievance was motivated to pile on and help support taking this person down. Now, the facts were irrelevant. Evidence was irrelevant because in the way that they were positioning, this place is dangerous, this person is unsafe, there was an urgency, an exquisite urgency to rallying the community around it. The other thing that makes it so striking to people when they were hearing these stories is that it was so far from their actual experience. So this person who was a leader in the community, a mentor, a positive positive role model in what can happen if you work hard and follow your dreams, all of that felt like a trick, right? So if someone's coming to you with a story and you're like, wait, this I thought I knew him. I thought I knew her. I've been tricked this whole time. And so then even people who had no issues with me at all became incensed because they felt that I'd been hiding something from them or that I'd pulled one over on them. And so 
the story sort of like starts to snowball. The thing that's weird to me about Zach's story is the power of social media, like the negative power of it. You know, we already have a theater community that's primed for drama, but then you layer on social media and it just gets messy. And so I think Zach is done with the story in 2016. Like I think, oh, it's over, but it's really just beginning. They're not done with it and they're not done with it on Facebook. So what happened is a year goes by from the time that those former employees step apart, have a smear campaign. I sit down with a founder of that other comedy organization, put an HR policy in place. I step back artistically from any decisions just to like remove any ambiguity that I'm using my power to control performers' lives. right? And then a month later, had hired an outside professional to come speak to the community, a former judge from Massachusetts who does training for non-traditional workplaces about what is is not appropriate and talk specifically about our non-retaliation policy that we've put in place. I had, in addition to that, identified a community advocate who was not an employee of the theater so that people could go with complaints, anonymous or otherwise. From summer of 2016 to summer of 2017, there was not a single complaint made to this person. So in 2016, put an HR policy in place. We hired an outside consultant to talk to our entire performing company and any alumni who wanted to attend. Had an independent community advocate identified. No complaints were made. And we've taken all the right steps. I actually think that that is part of why 2017 happened. I think we made positive steps. We made moves. And what this other organization appeared to have wanted to do in 2016 did not happen. And so in 2017, on July 2nd, they mounted a Facebook takedown. Hey, everybody. This is where the story takes a hard negative turn. So remember that trigger warning that I issued earlier? This is where it starts to get real. So in 2017, over the course of that year, there was a large movement in 2016 to go to this new company. And there was a slow trickle of people that were finding that their social connections and maybe they preferred what was happening at this new theater. On July 1st of 2017, the last group of people who had made their own decision to move over to Meddlesome Comedy had their final shows with DSI. Within hours on Sunday, July 2nd, another former employee who was a performer at this new comedy theater, posted one sentence on Facebook. I'm going to read exactly what that sentence was. I know there are many people that had bad experiences at DSI, but we don't talk about it. Maybe it's time we do. This one sentence, within hours, had taken off. Now, as it was happening in that moment, I was, and the community was, just overwhelmed. There were so many people And when you look back, you can see that, oh, these messages are very similar, right? These messages are using some of the same language around abuse and retaliation and creating an emotional story about their experience at DSI on Sunday of a holiday weekend. On Monday, July 3rd, a woman who would a day later go on to accuse me of sexual assault began to join Facebook groups all over the world related to improvisation, theater management, and comedy, and started sharing this thread. 
right? So she hadn't posted her story yet, but she had started to spread this thread that was growing. So I want to stop right there because maybe we should tell everybody what happens next with this woman. I think this is a good place to insert that story. Absolutely. On July 4th, 2017, as this thread, which is a business takedown, clearly a business takedown, the first sentence was about DSI. The following comments were about DSI experiences, experiences with Zach Ward, but the intent is to disparage DSI as a theater right, and bring down a theater by painting me in a specific way. On Tuesday, July 4th, 2017, this woman posts a story, which is an account of a, quote, sexual assault gray area. That is a false narrative of the first time that we, in fact, did sleep together. So this is a woman who, three years earlier, had pursued me, which I have shown evidence of on my website, like the entirety of our relationship and subsequent friendship. But she posted a narrative that called on the internet to label it as rape. Y'all, I think it's real important that people get specific. And when they tell their stories, tell it with detail. And I asked Zach to do just that. And again, this is a hard thing to ask your friend to do. And it may be hard for you to listen to. So she implied in her story that I, these are words that she has used, that I was sniffing around, I pursued her, and on July 4th of 2014, I encouraged her to stay at the theater while everybody else left. She then wrote that I told her to come upstairs with me because I needed to find my wallet. And uh, when we were upstairs in the dark, that I forcefully kissed her. And within seconds, I was, in her words, that I was inside of her and she didn't know what was happening. And this story is just not true. Can you tell us a couple of the details around the story that she described that actually make it untrue? Sure. One thing that is a very specific detail that she included in her story is that we had sex on a ping pong table that was in the office of the comedy theater. One, there's never been a ping pong table in any building, classroom, space that DSI has ever operated. In 17 years, there was never a ping pong table anywhere. So that's a very specific detail to include in your story about this. But also it is sort of reminiscent. I can't remember the movie about someone on a pinball machine. You know, it was like, a, it was, to me, I was like, what? But it was so specific. She said in her, she's like, with, on this Independence Day, this I'm reading from her post, on this Independence Day, three years to the day from being thrown onto a ping pong table in a dark room by a sick sociopath, I choose not to believe that there's something inherently wrong with me because I, like so many others, got conned by a slick con artist. The thing that really gets me with this story, Zach, is that, not to fast forward your story, but you had been in a relationship with her on and off, kind of casually, and she wanted more from what I recall. Well, we, over the course of two weeks, we slept together three times. And we did not continue that physical relationship and went on to be friends for a year. We spent time at parks with our kids. 
she was invited to host a competitive spelling bee at the comedy theater, etc. A year later, after we had slept together, a year later, something happened. I don't know what happened. She was actually dating another comedian at the time. She started to send me unprovoked, sexually explicit text messages while at the same time bashing me in person and on Facebook. She called me our local hometown Bill Cosby, things along those lines. It was really dramatic. And at the time, one of the things that got confused in 2017 was at the time that she was having this break, she was in a class of mine. And so here's where like the confusion around, oh, is this person sleeping with a student? You know, was this person abusing his power? And, you know, maybe there was a power differential. You know, that's where the assault or harassment could be coming from. And the reality was we had slept together three times over the course of two weeks in 2014. In summer of 2015, she had voluntarily signed up for a comedy class that I was teaching. After having been friends for a whole year and there being zero physical, zero anything during that time. So when all of this happened and the sexually explicit text messages and the break inside the classroom environment, I contacted my comedy school director. I'm the owner of the theater, but you know, clearly there's something here that someone else needs to get involved. So I contact my comedy school director, who, by the way, was one of the people that started the competing theater and told her everything that happened. I said, hey, you know, you know, people's adult lives are private lives, but I want you to know that this is happening. And it's kind of complicated because a year ago, dot, 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 this is with myself and this woman. This is our history. And then I gave it over to the comedy school director because in the context of what was happening, I was a teacher, right? I owned the theater, but I was a teacher. And so I said, I don't think that I'm the one to make this decision. Here's what I think could happen. I think we could just totally refund her, her tuition for this class. She could transfer to another class, or you could take over and teach the remaining classes in this course. Hey, everybody. I've been friends with Zach Ward for a very long time. And one of the things about Zach is that he looks for win-win scenarios. But that's exactly part of the reason why we are where we are. And I wanted to know, how come you didn't kick this woman out of your school and out of your life the moment she caused you trouble? So... Yeah. Like, what can I do? Right. One of the reasons that I'm in this position now is because I considered myself someone who, again, gives people second, third, fourth chances and also believes people. And so standing up for myself in these situations was very difficult because of those values. Right. Knowing what to do about a false sexual assault accusation when if it were not me being accused, I would probably believe the person too. And so you get paralyzed. You know, it's interesting that you describe yourself as paralyzed because you were given a couple of chances to talk to the media. And based on what I've read and my lived experience with you, it didn't go well with the media. So what happened there? In the first week, this is the wild part of the timeline of it all, is that on July 2nd, this person posts a business takedown on Facebook. It escalates. This woman posts her accusation on July 4th. And on July 5th, I start getting requests for comment from the press. I 
immediately because of the weight of what was being put out online, I went to a lawyer and I had my son is four years old. I didn't know what was happening. And I put together like a, just a statement, right? I tried to be as respectful as possible, but say this, you know, the story that this woman presented is not the truth. And what happened is that on Thursday, July 6th, our progressive alt weekly in the triangle here in, in North Carolina, Indie Week, published a story about the social media takedown. And in that story, they embedded her public Facebook post. So as journalists, they will say, well, we were just reporting on the public conversation around you. But by embedding her Facebook post in the online story, they allowed that story to reach an exponentially larger audience. So it was forwarded, liked, it crossed over community after community after community. And it also added credibility. And when that one allegation had credibility from the media, then every other small grievance was proof of a pattern. And also they cut up my statement to further, you know, whatever narrative that they wanted to tell. Part of the wild part of Indie Week and the subsequent reporting that happened at the News and Observer, the Herald Sun, and then our local NPR station is that once Indie Week broke the story, the stories that were told next were about the story that was first reported. And that is in a media climate where, you know, reporters are stretched thin and there's no budget for investigative reporting. They are using Facebook comments as verified sources. They are not doing their due diligence to check the accuracy of statements that people are making on social media. And nobody did an HR investigation like with the timeline of you. I mean, that's really clear. And I think the other interesting thing that we just have to stress in this conversation is that there's a whole larger conversation in 2017 happening about Me Too and comedians specifically. Right. Yeah. Before Me Too sort of kicked off, right? In the way that... And, and the Me Too had... You know, Toronto Burke had started Me Too a long time prior, right? Mm -hmm. But before like Alyssa Milano and Me Too was a hashtag, this happened. And it was probably about two and a half or three months before the Me Too hashtag sort of exploded. So the wild thing is that my story had its own hashtag. And the hashtag was, yes, and we believe you. Yes, and we believe you was international in two days. So people, I don't know if people do this anymore because I'm not on Facebook, but people change their profile photos to someone created a Yes, and we believe you logo. Yes, and we believe you was on Twitter, on Facebook. People started posting their own stories of support. And the stories of support were not about the bartender who didn't think they made enough in tips. They weren't about the person who wanted to teach comedy but never got a chance. Right. The yes and we believe you hashtag was performative allyship and support of this one woman and her single false accusation. Yeah. And when that took off, again, everything else, I mean, people said, well, this guy's not even very funny, <laughs> as if that were reason to like close my comedy theater. Yeah. And by the way, I do want to say something. It's not like 
you got canceled in a way that Louis C.K. got canceled or Aziz Ansari because these are wealthy individuals, right? They've bounced back in their own way. How did you get canceled? Well, first, the media is really important. So I will come back to the canceled conversation. WUNC, our local NPR station, rejected an offer for a no conditions interview. They told me that if they were interested in my story, they would be in touch and they never were. Indie Week, editors and journalists have rejected offers to see all of the evidence that I had compiled. A reporter from the News and Observer and the Durham Herald Sun, who are owned by the same company, McClatchy, met with me, acknowledged that the materials that I showed her contradicted the things that she was told in 2017. She was interested in telling the story, kept pushing me back and pushing me back, and eventually just ghosted on me. And it felt as if I was not a story anymore. I was not worth investigating. I didn't want to tell my story by publishing on my own website. I wanted a fair shot. I'm not perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes in owning and growing a small business. But every time I learned something new, a way to be better, I was better. And that growth from the time that we started a comedy festival to open the doors on our first theater to moving to a larger theater, like the growth over the course of that time, the theater itself is unrecognizable. Policies, procedures, systems in place, ways that we were operating were a far cry from a bunch of kids in their 20s in the early 2000s just doing comedy shows. So that's been really difficult to feel like you're no longer a story, right? Like the story got told and you feel like you are collateral damage. Well, I would love for you to describe that collateral damage because you're a human being. And I think, you know, one false allegation that was weaponized by competitors and and here you are admitting that you weren't a perfect business owner, but you tried to address things over the years. And frankly, Zach, I mean, we've, we've known one another for over a decade and you and I know this shit happens at work, right? And then people do the best to kind of overcome it. So we've talked about this. I've coached you through this, but this allegation fucking ruined your life. That's completely accurate. Yes. What happened that summer in 2017 is that I immediately retreated. I was forced to close my theater. And people would say, you know, if you're innocent, why did you not fight back? There were no charges. There was no avenue for me to share my story. I tried to with the media. Social media, we all know, is not a place that you're going to get a fair shake. And so it was done. I'm a storyteller. I can see the arc of a story. And that week, as soon as her Facebook post got embedded into an online article in a newspaper, I knew it was over. I knew that the theater had to close. My theater was also something that was buoyed by my personal business. So outside of running a comedy theater, I'm a corporate trainer, speaker, business consultant, and all of that was funneled through the theater to pay rent, right? This is a storefront theater in the downtown of a major university town, right? So it's not cheap, but this is my dream. And my dream was to have a space. So I knew that it wasn't that Zach Ward could just step away and the theater could be taken over or something could happen. If Zach Ward's brand was destroyed, the revenue streams that were keeping the theater doors open were gone. Yeah, they were gone immediately. Immediately. And so the theater couldn't exist. Even if I had given it 
to someone and said, hey, here's the theater, like the theater itself couldn't have paid its bills the next month. Hey, y'all, we're at the part of the story where Zach closes DSI. You know, it's unsustainable. He cannot keep that theater open. His reputation has been trashed. He's toxic. Nobody wants to work with him. And he goes out into the marketplace to look for work. And I'm going to let you guess how that goes. Yes. I had corporate clients and speaking engagements lined up for the rest of that year, 2017. Everything canceled. All that canceled. And I was a known person. The year prior, I was Young Professional of the Year. DSI Comedy Theater was medium-sized business of the year in our community. And this is my hometown. So I was a known person. Being a known person and being in the news for something like this was contaminating. So my name and everything that I did was contaminated by the story. And what that means is that in that I was contaminated, nobody wanted to engage at all. Like no one wanted to talk to me for fear of guilt by association or having themselves be socially rejected, right? Because the content was so radioactive. So I applied to like anywhere from 80 to 100 jobs because I needed one, like I needed a job now. And I got two interviews and they're both phone interviews and I didn't get called back. And it was one of those things that, yeah, any organization that was small enough that I was going to interview with the hiring manager first was probably too small to take me on, right? Because of the risk. And any organization that was large enough had an HR person that was screening me out by doing a quick Google search and saying, well, no, that resume goes over here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I didn't even get looked at because of my name in the news. But you do finally get employment. But this thing follows you to your new job. It follows you to daycare. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I published this also on my website, my whole through life since 2017 and forced to close my business of 17 years, um, not able to find employment. I had to declare bankruptcy. And I finally got a part-time hourly job in the mall through a referral. And the thing that was exciting is that even though it was part-time, I was able to get health insurance. I had been at that job for, I want to say six weeks, seven weeks. And this was the Monday before Thanksgiving of 2017. And I got called in that Monday morning to meet with a couple managers. And they asked me, do you know why we might need to meet with you this morning? And I just started crying because I knew. I knew. were texts all over the country. And there was a campaign that weekend before Thanksgiving of that year to notify my employer of the sexual predator that they had hired. I know that this was a nationwide campaign because a friend of mine sent me screenshots of texts that people were sending to each other to say, hey, we found out where Zach Ward is working. And those texts were two days before I got called in to this office. I was able to keep that job. They didn't fire me. But the message was clear. And the message was that this mob of people is watching my every move. And they're, they're not going away. And that, the fact that that mob is so determined to eliminate any possibility that I could continue to live and work and provide for my family was terrifying. What really breaks my heart about Zach's story is that from the moment the false allegation 
of a gray area sexual assault was made online on Facebook, Zach's life was over. He was thrown into social isolation. And you know, now we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I asked Zach to talk a little bit about social isolation and his perspective on it. Yeah, I think that I, one of the things that I kind of joke about because I am still a comedian is that I was uniquely prepared to go into quarantine because I had spent the last two and a half years in that space. And I had to because I didn't know, like no one wanted to connect with me. And here's the thing, there is no crime that I committed, zero. The stories that were told about me were performative in support of this false narrative, right? This manufactured toxic narrative. So now no one necessarily knows what was true and what wasn't true. And there's no upside to people engaging in that content. Well, wait, wait, Zach. There is no upside to engaging in the conversation except for people who love you and care about you and want you to survive and thrive. I mean, that's why we're doing the podcast today. One of, I think, the hardest moments for me during this with you is to see how this affected you psychologically. And I don't know if you want to speak to that, but you had some pretty low moments. Yeah. Coming after my job was just the very first thing that happened. People eventually, and I was very lucky that I was able to keep that job. And eventually I was offered to be there full time. And at that point, I was a single parent. I needed some childcare. And when your network is decimated, I went to care.com, which is a you know, place to like find childcare. I posted a job for Zach W in Chapel Hill. And the next day I went to log in and my credentials were not recognized. And I had been flagged and my account was deleted. They refunded my premium membership fee for, quote, violating the ethical standards of the care.com community. So people were stalking me. People offered to kill me. Multiple strangers offered in Facebook comments to drive to North Carolina to kill me. A person who I knew a decade earlier messaged me two years later that I should have killed myself. Like two and a half years later, I'm being trolled on Twitter for the internet to take me down as if there was anything more they could take from me. And, you know, Zach Ward, hashtag times up, me too. You know, the rapist is you. These are messages that I'm getting regularly. And with all that, like there was a, yeah, there was a real hard like three months that I was so sad. And I thought that I had just failed my son and I thought that I was not seen. And that's the hardest is that like, you don't feel You're like, how could this be the way that people see me? It was such a drastic and abrupt turn that I was now othered by a community and outcast in my hometown. And so I walked myself back from suicide for like three months because I thought that that was like, honestly, the only thing that would, I felt like my son would be better without me here. And yeah, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I think that's also really dark and people don't want to like think about how they were part of something that destructive and they don't want to acknowledge that either they were actively a part of it or they just stood by while it happened. But like anyone who stood up in those first couple days were immediately slapped down by the mob. 
anyone who asked questions or asked for or shared their perspective. There was one person who, in the press, they were trying to position me as an abuser and DSI as a deeply misogynist theater. And there was a person who said, unless you were young and pretty, you never got cast at DSI. And she went on the record in the newspaper and said this. And someone on Facebook said, well, actually, like I perform Saturdays at 9 and every woman on our cast is in their 40s and three of us have kids. <laughs> and this woman responded, that's not my truth. And you're like, there's no, like, there is truth. There is objective truth, right? There is not, your opinion can be your opinion. Your feelings can be your feelings. But the truth is the truth. Hey, y'all. I think cancel culture is an annoying term that's thrown around in all kinds of disingenuous ways. And there was actually a really good podcast that I want to recommend from The Daily, which is a New York Times podcast that talks about the evolution of cancel culture and what it meant a few years ago and what it means now. And I'll include a link in the show notes. But I wanted to ask Zach, what do you think of cancel culture? What's your opinion on this trend? I feel very strongly that there's like a dead zone in society where you are well known enough to be canceled for the mob to come after you online, but not seen as valuable enough to stand up for or save. And there are people that have like weathered the storm, right? And this is like Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein. Like these are people who were like charged, convicted, and are paying for their crimes. Yeah, yeah. I was labeled those things for no reason. No crime, no charge, no opportunity to defend myself. But the link is made and then it's all over. I think there's a very different situation with like an Aziz Ansari that you brought up, right? That his friends at Parks and Rec, right, are not going to suffer if they continue to support him, right? James Gunn was in 2017 being canceled for old tweets. Disney like canceled his contracts. But the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy stood up and demanded that Disney and the world acknowledge that people grow and change. And now he gets to work when you are not seen as valuable. And in my case, the reason that like DSI was so easily destroyed is because Meddlesome Comedy had already established itself as the life raft. There was already another place for people to go in the community. Selfishly, if you aligned with the attack that was happening, you were able to secure your space in the new hierarchy. Hey, everybody. I asked Zach to wrap up the conversation with some takeaways. Like, what does he want us to know as business leaders, as professionals? What does he want to say to members of the community who were embroiled in this? What does he want to say to people who were peripherally involved and just said, you know what, I'm going to look away? That's what I wanted to hear from Zach. And also, where do we go from here? I think the biggest thing that would be helpful for me and helpful for every other person that's gone through this kind of experience is just for listeners to realize that it's a human being that's at the end of that cancellation or the end of that judgment, right? And I'm a human being. And so I think if there's any space just to consider, like press the pause button, listen to the facts, and I think demand evidence, right? Demand proof. 
before going all in on something? You know, one of the things we talked about in this conversation was the lack of due diligence on the part of journalists here in the Triangle. And I wonder if you have a message to the media community and not just here in Raleigh, but globally, like what could reporters do differently? The issue of what's capturing people's attention, I don't think is just happening on social media. It's also happening in our newspapers, right? And when you think about this was definitely something that was a story. It was a story. And the interesting thing in our local market is that Indie Week has had its own issues. They recently fired their editor-in-chief because he failed to investigate a tip for a credible issue of sexual harassment and potential assault. But that same editor-in-chief rushed to publish the story about my theater without any verification or investigation. And so I see what happened to DSI and this other story as two sides of the same coin, which is media outlets fail to acknowledge the human impact of platforming false accusations and internet bullies. Speaking of internet bullies, you know, if it were me and I were in your shoes, I would be not only just really angry, I would be out for vengeance. I mean, that's my personality, right? You know, I am chronically pissed off at the world, but I would let the people who've done me wrong know that they can't sleep at night. You know, I mean, that's just how I'm built. But you're not like that, which has been the interesting thing to watch. I mean, part of the reason why this snowballed is because, as we talked about earlier, you didn't stand up for yourself. But I wonder if you have a message to those individuals now, the woman who made false allegations against you, the people at the theater who conspired against you. I mean, what do you want to say to them? I'm still not in a place to say anything to that small group of people who I am still angry at. I'm not in a great place to have a conversation with people who were willing to let someone's life be destroyed for something they knew to be false. So there's this small group of people I need to disconnect from. The larger community, I can forgive. I think I may have said earlier that if it were not me being accused, I may have believed the story myself because of what was put out there. And so I do have a really deep and sincere well of forgiveness for anyone who was manipulated by the story. It wasn't a true story, but if it were true, how could they not justify saying the things they said and doing the things they did, right? And so I have this forgiveness for the people in the community that were used and manipulated into this sort of piling on, this mobbing. And I would say to them that, you know, just reach out. I'm here. I've been someone that, again, second, third, fourth, fifth chances. And I, I'd like to reconnect. I think one of the really interesting things about our friendship, Zach, is that you told me to ask the questions. Like when you told me what was happening, you said, this is what's going on in my life. Ask me any question, challenge me, like put me on the spot. And I wonder if that invitation is open to others as well. Absolutely. Uh, When I've reached out, it's kind of a strange thing and not many people have taken me up on it. Like I said, the content is contaminating. It feels radioactive. And honestly, it's gross, right? These are parts of our personal lives that just should not be opened up for the world to see. But what I hope to do is to be fully transparent and say, yeah, Lori, 
ask me whatever you want to ask. I'm not afraid of the truth. That's kind of why I went to journalists this whole time, right? I'm not perfect. I haven't made all the best decisions. I was in my 20s starting a comedy theater with no roadmap. There was no regional improv theater, comedy theater for me to look to outside of Chicago and New York and Los Angeles. And so we made a lot of mistakes. When we knew better, we did better. And that is my story. I wanted people to investigate. I wanted to be cross-examined. I wanted to admit the things that I did wrong and own up to those things and show how the theater and me as a human being had changed over 17 years. 17 years of personal growth and professional change were eliminated from the conversation. And so I would invite people to ask me anything, right? Ask me any questions. I'm not afraid of the truth. You know, there's some parts of the story that I put online that people are like, oh, why would you say that? It's like, well, because that actually happened, right? I did date that person for four months, right? Or this situation was kind of messy, right? But I don't want to hide any of the things that actually happened. I know that there was a hashtag a whisper campaign, an active smear campaign effort, and a business takedown that was successful because of a year-long effort and a false rape accusation. If not for that single false accusation, the business takedown would have been annoying, but it wouldn't have resulted in the chaos and destruction that happened. All those things combined together it was impossible for me to survive the tidal wave. Well, we want you to do more than just survive the tidal wave. I want you to rebuild your life. I want you to have an opportunity to raise your son and cast away some of that shame that you've talked about throughout the podcast and really thrive like any other human being. What do you want for your future? There are some like really simple things that I would like. I would like to feel seen and heard. I'd like to be able to volunteer for organizations that I volunteered for and not have them feel like they can't publicly acknowledge the work that I'm doing. And I really would love the opportunity to work, to do what I was skilled at doing and what I felt that I was passionate about doing. And I'd like to help people again. All of that was taken away. My coping mechanism and what I had built. You know, I'll never get a theater back. I wrote this, you can't unburn the house down, right? But what, what happened as a result of this cancellation and continuous attention to like what has felt like being hunted and stalked on the internet is that I have been unable to rebuild. And it's been over three years now. And some people will say, well, everybody deserves redemption or everybody deserves a second chance. And that for me feels a little off because I didn't do the thing. And so I don't know how to reconcile that. I mean, there are people in the world that would be like, well, you deserve that second chance of redemption. But if you didn't do the thing, I just want my chance. I want my first chance. Yeah, <laughs> like your to life. resume. Can I unpause and just resume? And I know that there are people out there who have read the story, have met with me for coffee. They know the people involved and they know that what happened was not right. And that this thing that dominated all of the media coverage did not happen. Yeah. And yet 
they can't stand up. Well, they choose not to stand up, Zach. But in the culture of cancellation, they choose not to stand up because of fear. But here's, yes, but here's the deal. I mean, you're not Brett Kavanaugh. People aren't sitting in the rafters cheering on a sexual predator as he's being nominated for the Supreme Court. I mean, this is clearly something that's false. And I think part of the reason why I'm having you on my podcast is because I'm a noted, ardent feminist. I have a voice. I have an audience. And when I see injustice anywhere, I can't let it stand. And I think we all have that choice to make. And I think there's some learned helplessness in this cancel culture right now. Like, well, we can't fight the mob. Well, yeah, you can by creating your own, <laughs> like a complimentary mob. I'm using air quotes now or creating a wall around someone to protect them. And that's what I'm trying to do for you. That's what I'm trying to show. So anytime you talk to someone and they're like, well, sucks to be you. I'm glad we reconnected. I think you need to keep in mind that that person could do better for you. They could. We don't have to get again into the psychology of Zach Ward and the real low expectations I, mean, I have for other people in my life. <laughs> we can, but our favorite brunch place closed before COVID anyway. So. That's correct. Listen, I mean, I want to share a couple of things with you. Number one, I'm very sorry that you went through all of this. I mean, it's terrible. And number two, I'm glad you've walked yourself back from any suicidal thoughts because it would hurt me so much if anything happened to you because I love you and I care about you as a friend. And number three, I stand by you. I mean, I believe women when they make accusations, but the phrase isn't believe all women, dot, dot, dot. It's believe women, but there's a second part of that, which is ask questions, use your critical thinking skills, dig a little bit deeper. And I did that. And here I am using my platform to stand by you. So I want you to know that I stand by you and I'm available to do anything to help you. And I, I hope you feel that, Zach. I do feel that. And I appreciate that very much. I think like the last thing I want to say is, you know, why is this important to me? I'm 43 years old and I have had exceptionally low expectations of people for a very long time, but I wanted to live and I wanted to live for my son. And if not for my son, I wouldn't be here. And because of him, I am here. So it's a really complicated thing. And because I am here and I have a responsibility to him, I can't just float. I can't just be a shadow and go through the next 40 years not having pursued my dreams and do things that I feel like I was meant to do. I want him to know that truth matters. I want him to see that treating people with kindness matters. And I want him to not feel like you get knocked down and that's it. So eventually, this is going to be a conversation that dad has to have because he remembers the comedy theater. He doesn't understand why I don't work for the comedy theater anymore. And I'm very glad that he was four and five when this happened instead of 15. <laughs> but he was old enough to remember, you know, and it's a conversation that's going to have to happen. And so that's why this standing back up and telling my story, as painful as it is, has been really important for me as a dad. 
Well, you've done a good job on your website of telling your story. You know, I joked with you early on as you were writing it, it was like always sunny in Philadelphia, you know, Charlie in the mailroom with the red strings. I mean, it was like this wieldy conspiracy, but I think you've done a really good job in like focusing the writing and really narrowing it down to the core issues. I mean, it's really compelling writing. So where can people find that? You can find it on my website, which is zachward.com, Z-A-C-H-W-A-R-D.com. And there's a menu item, 2017. So zachward.com forward slash 2017. And it's all there. Hey, everybody. That conversation with Zach for me was epic. But I meant what I said in the podcast. You know, I asked him the tough questions. I got what I thought were honest answers. And this was back in 2017 in 2018. I've been there for him in some pretty dark moments, and I've witnessed how people have totally abandoned him. I'm not asking you to sit in judgment and say whether or not he's guilty or innocent. What I'm asking you to do is to consider the fact that he hasn't had a real platform until today to tell his story. So the next time you hear allegations against somebody... I think it would be wise for you to pause and think, have I heard the whole story? Do I believe this to be true? Is this coming from a credible source? Do I have the capacity to dig a little deeper and ask my own questions? And if you find things to be a little sketchy or a little hinky, do you have the self-leadership, the bravery, the integrity to stand up and say, you know what? This doesn't make sense. We need a better and bigger conversation. You know, I'm kind of ashamed of myself that it took me this long to use my platform to have this conversation with Zach. I hope it affords him some opportunities to talk to people. I hope it affords an opportunity for healing. And I hope it prompts you to think a little bit differently about the people behind cancel culture on both sides of the accusations. Now, if you want to read more about Zach's story, I've got a bunch of links in the show notes and you can head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash punkrockhr dash 125. That's all for this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.